Hi, I'm Edgar Brown, CEO of FIT, and welcome to The Process. At FIT, we believe in empowerment through fitness because your health is truly your greatest asset. Each episode will bring you conversations from expert trainers and personalities who share their own fitness journeys and how they were able to grow in the four pillars of health, being physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. We really want you, the audience, to learn from the stories of these individuals and in doing so, create your own process for becoming a better you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Fit Podcast, your source for all topics in the sphere of fitness, health, and wellness. It's been amazing doing these podcasts so far and being able to connect with different guests we've been able to feature. I'm your host, Edgar Brown, and I personally love uncovering these backgrounds and stories of the people we feature to bring you interesting, unique, and authentic experiences. So today, our very special guest is Hashim, aka Hash, and I don't want to give away too much of his story because that's really what this podcast will focus on. But essentially, he went through a program called Boot Camps for Change, which really did change his life. And a little bit of background onto that, uh, Boot Camps for Change is a charitable organization that organizes uh, weekly to monthly fitness programs and workshops, as well as helping sponsor scholarships so that underserved youth can get certified in fitness. How do they do this? Um, They involve fitness classes in homeless shelters in the greater Toronto area and having charity fundraisers. And our guest today, Hashim, was actually a homeless youth who benefited from one of their scholarships called Sweatier for the Better. And he's going to tell us about how he got involved in the Boot Camps for Change program and how his journey took off from there. So without further ado, we're not only excited, but also honored that you'd be here with us today to share your story. I really appreciate that, Edgar. Um, but the way I was, like my story started, like honestly, like my story can be related to anyone. It can happen to any person in life. It's just like some of the hardships that just threw us off. But not to take it too long. Um, so I'm from Yemen. But I was raised and born in one of the Arab countries. I was raised and born there until I was 18. And I couldn't get into college or university. It was kind of hard or difficult for me to get there. So my father decided one day to uh, send me to the States. And I was shocked. I didn't believe that because we are from a middle class family. So we're not that rich to afford this kind of stuff. But he told me, like, don't worry about money. If you're really into this, just let me know. But just think about it first before you decide anything. I thought about it, I prayed God, and I was like kind of nervous, but I said, like, you know what, it's a life journey, I'm not going to miss it, so I had to take it. Uh, I told him, yes, okay, let's do this, and he did all the arrangements and stuff, so after he arranged everything for me to get set up, I, took, I got a visa and every stuff, and it was time to leave. I left back home and went all the way to the States. I kind of struggled a little bit because my English language wasn't that great. I could have handled myself, but I wasn't as like fluent and quickly and responsive like as in round. So went there, took an English course to improve my language, and went to university over there. It's called SIUE, and did three years of marketing. And then summer of 2018, which it was August, uh, stuff just went down. Everything collapsed. What happened is basically. The moment I left actually back home, uh, so my original home country, 
start having wars between them and the presidents. And after that, while I was in the States last summer, um, they were having fights or war in the, within the country. So it was unsafe for me to, to go back. And the country that I was born in, it was kind of difficult for me to live in because they were just kind of putting too much, too many rules and stuff. So for me to live there was kind of difficult, which would lead me to go to my own home country, which is Yemen. And it's not safe for me to go there. And during the, while I was in the States, also when Trump took over, I received an email from the university that said, uh, don't leave the country because if you're one of those countries that got banned, um, there's a high chance for you that you're not gonna come back. So I was worried about if I went back home that I might lose my chance to get my degree. And if I stayed there, I'm gonna lose my temporary residency where I was born, so I'm not gonna see my family no more. So I had to make a tough, rough decision. Should I stay here, finish my degree, and then be illegal because I'm attached to paperwork, so the moment I'm done from school, I'll be gone, I'll be no one, basically. Or should I just go back home and then risk it, and then I have to go to my original home country, which is not safe for me. I thought about it, I was nervous, I didn't know what to do, I was worried about my degree and stuff, but it then it clicked in my mind that, you know what, probably I should go to Canada because they're accepting refugees nowadays and people like, like me basically from Yemen that they're always going for shooting for Canada. Basically, they were just going straight forward to Canada because that's the safest place for them. I talked to my dad about it and he said he agreed with me and he said, like, let's do it, whatever. But my mom didn't like the idea because she knew or actually felt that I'm not going to see her no more for a while. But we, we had to make the rough decision. We have to. And so I booked the flights, closest place to the, the border to Canada, slept in a hotel, woke up next morning, took a taxi, dropped me to the closest place to the border, and then I just came closest to the place to the border and then walked. And then a police officer just stopped me. And he told me, like, you know that this is legal, blah, 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 this kind of stuff. And I told him, like, I know that, and I'm, I know I'm crossing the border, but, like, I know what I'm doing. And then he just hit me with this, and he said, uh, you know, actually, you're committing a federal crime. The moment he said that, I just paused because, you know, I've seen a lot of movies about how feds is going to do to you and stuff. So I was worried about, like, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to get beaten, questioned, all this stuff? Took a moment, looked back. I saw the states behind me. I looked in front of me, and I saw Canada. And I was worried, but thank God, like, it was like kind of a message from God or a guidance that a, a pregnant lady just stopped by another taxi cab. She was pregnant. She didn't care. She just kept going. She didn't listen to the, to the officer. He tried to speak to her like to multiple languages, but she completely kind of ignored him till she responded to him. And I think what I got from the conversation, even though I didn't understand it, um, that she said like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I want to go. So I said like, you know what? She's a pregnant lady. So what's going to happen to her? You know, I like what? Like, they, if whatever they're gonna do to her, they're gonna do to me. So, uh, I walked. Well, like after she walked, I walked behind her, and I got I was shocked actually because nothing badly happened. The, the, like literally, he was respectful. He took her bags, actually helped her, and he told us actually just follow me. Went inside. It was like a small cabinet, and there was a lot of police officer over there. Uh, people just like me, refugees and stuff. And I had to wait for my line. And then they investigated me and stuff. Um, and then after that, they did a couple of investigations. And then they took us by a bus to the police station. And that was all, like, every, everything, like, all that happened in Montreal. 
So the moment they dropped us at the police station, a police officer came to the car and then he said, you guys are okay, you guys are safe and stuff. And he told us like, welcome to Canada with the biggest smile. And I was shocked because I have never felt like home before. And when he did that, and I said that actually, it made me feel like I was home. I was welcomed, you know, like that's where I belong. Did a couple, like I, the, the whole process was long. I'm not gonna lie to you, it was a long, long day. They did all investigation stuff. They dropped us like in the next step, next step. And I spent about like four days in Montreal, to be honest with you, so I can finish my paperwork and stuff. That was my first shelter when I was there, actually. I went to the shelter and have never seen shelter in my life. So I was in there and then literally I was shocked because it was multiple like courts. Like one of them actually was a basketball court filled with like 60 at least or 70 beds. And there weren't any like comfortable beds. They were like literally, I don't know if you know, like those uh, bunk beds or like the, the shoulder, soldier beds. You're not comfortable. Like they're literally middle. And there's like just something to hold you. So like you, you have to like sleep straight. You cannot just move around. Uh, like it was in there was uh, actually kids, babies, uh, mothers, and like just old men and stuff, and regular men just like me, young people, different ages basically. It was it was hard for me to live there because like I have never experienced shelters before. But I said like you know what I have to go through the process, and I know this because I knew that nothing would come easy in the beginning. And even my dad told me like it's not gonna be fun. It's not gonna be like. Yo, Hash, what's up? Welcome, you know? Just have a fine, nice hotel and stuff. No, he, he told me, like, you're going to struggle in the beginning. But this is the best thing you can do. I spent there four days, and then uh, the moment I got my paperwork and stuff, I got approved finally to become a refugee. So they gave me a brown paper that has my photo and stuff and how long I can stay in Canada legally. Uh, and at the moment, they told me, like, you can go to Toronto because that's what I wanted to, like, live basically. Uh, I took my paperwork, I took a ticket by the bus, and then I went from Montreal to Ottawa, and then from Ottawa to Toronto. From Ottawa to Toronto, I was nervous because I have no one, I don't know, no one in this country, and I'm new to it, and have no place to stay. I know I have a couple cash on me, but that's not going to make me survive. I mean, I can find a hotel, but for how long I can stay in the hotel, though? Maybe a week, a month, and then what? Where am I going to go? So I had to call the Red Cross and tell them like, I'm a refugee and stuff and I don't have a place to stay in. So they said like, we will help you and find you a shelter. So I said, okay, I know with that. And that, actually that was like hours on the phone. So like they didn't respond right away like, cause they were receiving a lot of phone calls. And then they directed me to adult shelters. And actually that when I was really nervous because I heard rumors or stuff, I don't know if it's real, but they told me, like, you know what, just stay away from adult shelters because it's mostly drugs and, like, people, like, crazier stuff. Like, they might, like, stab you even for 10 bucks. So, like, just be careful. Don't go there. And I pray God at that moment. So, like, God, help me. I have no one over here. Where am I supposed to go? So, uh, finally, I received an email while I was on the way that said, you know what, we found... Actually, they called me, actually. They, they said, we found a different shelter. It's youth shelter. It's between 16 to 24 which actually I loved it because that was my age. Look, and I came here, actually I was 22, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm gonna become 23 soon, but like, yeah, that was like about a year ago, almost. And um, I said, okay, that's fine. And they said, like, just call them when you arrive and tell them like, hey, I'm on my way. They're expecting you already. So the moment I landed in Toronto, I took a taxi, I called them, I said like, hey, 
my name is Hash and stuff. I know that you guys got contacted, so I'm gonna come right now. I came there and I entered the shelter and it was just a bunch of kids, literally, like or young people just like me. And I was worried because I didn't know like where they're coming from, what's their stories and stuff. So I literally had to change myself. I didn't I wasn't me. Like I literally had to just keep it to myself. And normally I'm a smiley social person, like just go around, talk to introduce myself, but I didn't do that in the beginning. I had to keep it myself, keep myself together and just have a straight face. So because I don't know what I'm dealing with. And um, I spent there about six months. It was, it was kind of tough because I faced some struggleness with people. I have faced uh, people with mental issues and stuff. And, you know, you cannot do anything about it. They have mental issues. What are you going to do about it? And some of them actually tried to fight me for no reason. And I took I took calm. I took it easy. And staff helped me actually to prevent the, the fights. But this kind of situation you get, you're going to get in. You got to be smart about it. And you're going to know how to deal with it, basically. But shelters actually wasn't wasn't fun. It wasn't fun because... I got humiliated multiple times by some staff, unfortunately. Like, if you ask, like, I remember one experience, I didn't share it, but I don't mind sharing it. So one time I didn't eat dinner and it was snack time, basically. So I asked for a second noodle, like the, those pack noodles. And I asked for a second one because I didn't, I was hungry, I didn't eat. And this lady, she said, you gotta wait till I give it to everybody. I said, okay, cool, that's fair. I waited and then I asked multiple times because she keeps saying like, oh, wait, wait, not everybody took their stuff. But then I waited that everybody was finished from their food. So like, what am I waiting for? I'm hungry. Like, can I eat right now? So I asked her for a second pack and then she got just pissed or annoyed by me asking. So she took the pack of noodles and she threw it at me. That killed me from inside because I felt like if I was a dog asking for food. And that pissed me so much because where I'm coming from, I don't have to ask. Like, I don't, I don't care about your food. I don't need your food. Like, are you serious? Like, if I was where I was, like in the States or like I had money, enough money, I wouldn't even ask you for food. I would go buy my own stuff. I would make my own stuff. But just because I'm a homeless person right now and I live in a shelter, that's how you're going to treat me? But that, that's, that's pretty much like most of the stuff that I experienced over there. Man, <laughs> I'm sure you guys can tell how um, how how much is in that story. But I, I just want to focus on, I guess, a few points to start off with. Um, what you just touched on, so going from someone who uh, has opportunity, was going through school... Um, and then suddenly basically being thrown into this new environment where, as you said, you're, you feel like you're being treated like a dog or, or less than a human. Like, how did, how did you personally get through that, um, like, from a, from a mindset perspective? To be honest with you, um, life is... I, knew, I know that actually life is not easy, you know, but... And I had to keep my mind straight. I mean, to be honest with you, like... So when I was, let's say, teenage, I used to be like frustrated quickly. I get frustrated real quick, and I get angry real quick at any small, tiny things. But me going alone to the states and being there for myself, protecting myself, and cooking for myself, and do everything by myself, I had to be a man. I had to become a man and be independent and rely on myself because no one would take care of me. Nobody's gonna ask me like, "Oh, Hash, have you eating dinner?" Oh, Hash, did you do laundry? Oh, Hash, did you do that? No, I had to do it all by myself. 
But when I went to uh, to the shelter, actually, I came to Canada, it was rough for me. But I said, and I've seen people who, like, defend themselves against those kind of stuff that happens in the shelter. But a way or another, because of their, like, anger and stuff, they get discharged from the place. And actually, I heard that that was, like, the least problematic place that you can be in comparing to other shelters. So I didn't want to lose my opportunity to be there. I'm not going to lie to you. It was rough to control my anger because, I mean, it, does, it takes me, like, you, it will take you a long, long time for you to piss me off. Like, I have even limits for it. And my last limit is not fun. I'm not going to lie to you. But I, I don't like to see that. And I, last time I got really, really angry, that was in maybe middle school. But, like, I don't like it because I don't control myself when I reach that limit. And I hate it. But... Honestly, this lady specifically, she, I had multiple bad experience with her. And she always trying to get into my nerve for no reason. I don't know why. That one time I lost my anger, but I didn't do anything to her. Because she's a lady. I cannot touch a lady, you know. She's a woman. So, I mean, even if it was a man, to be honest with you, but like, I would get discharged no matter, regardless. Not, and I'm going to screw up my stuff and papers. And they literally told me, like, through when I got my stuff in immigration, they told me, like, be aware, stay away from any fights or any problem, problems. Because if you got any criminal records, you that's gonna affect your paperwork. So I didn't want to risk it. I didn't want to for like some stupid anger. Is that wasn't worth it? But one time when she really pissed me off, I literally went outside, took the garbage with me, and I want to throw it out. I literally punched the 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 what is it? The garbage can or whatever. I punched it so hard, even though it hurt my hand, but like I had to let it out. I was so angry. I didn't know what to do because it wasn't angry because like, oh, I'm just an angry person. No, because like she humiliated me, you know, and I hate that. Look, don't look at me down. Not just because I'm here. You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm coming from. But in those kind of environments, you have to learn how to grow. You have to learn how to be strong and be mindful. Don't let any like small anger take you or control you because the moment you let someone else control your emotions you become a slave to them and i didn't want that to happen so so i had to take it in i had to complain do all the paperwork and stuff but that's pretty much how i handled my anger yeah man and i think that's a uh, a lesson that a lot of people can learn from just about self-control in general yeah. obviously yours is a is an extreme circumstance but i'm sure it, it gives you perspective like coming in uh and being treated completely differently and, and having people's first impressions of you, basically, you thinking that that's defining who you are, uh, whereas they don't know anything about your story. But um, again, I, I feel like how were you like if you if you wanted to sum it up, like, do you think that that approach in terms of self-control uh, has influenced your your decisions and how you how you act today? I always say think before you act because it's easy to act but then rethink it but then you cannot take it back your actions like what, what you did will stay there and it will stick there and it will affect a lot of stuff in your life so instead of you reacting to stuff or like just do it real quick sit down take a deep breath think what our circumstances gonna happen after this reaction like okay if you got mad and gone rogue and did something terrible what's the consequences gonna be there and if you took it deep and relaxed and said, like, you know what? It's not even worth my time. I'm going to grow. 
you you're gonna feel better. You're gonna become better, and you actually you're gonna avoid all these arguments and stuff and problems. You know, like just avoid them. It's not even worth of your time. You're way bigger than that. Hundred percent, and that's definitely a lesson that everyone like I could apply. That anyone here can apply that. Um, so moving on now, um, can you walk me through from there how you discovered boot camps for change and for your sure. experience with them? For sure. So basically, uh, during my time in the shelters, honestly, I loved going to the gym because I wanted to control my emotions and stuff. So I had to go to the gym and that's when I released all the stress that I have in my life. Um, so one day I came back from the gym and then they told me, so when you were there, there are, there's a morning program and afternoon program. So boot camp was afternoon program. And then they asked me that if you don't not going to do something productive, you have to attend the program. And I said, like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to go there. I went downstairs and I saw Katie over there who runs the boot camp. And I told her, like, I'm sorry, but I cannot work out because I'm really sore. I just came back from a heavy workout. So I'm just going to watch. So she was completely fine about it. I sat down. I looked at people. And some of them, they were doing the workout wrong. And it kind of like, I feel itchy when I, when I see that. So I had to do something about it. So I jumped in, I started like adjust their position and stuff and asked them like, okay, this is how you do it. This, this, not, this is wrong. You want to avoid this because you want to get injured. And then she saw that, Katie saw that and she told me, you're natural in this, you know that? And I appreciated that. I said, oh, thank you. So then she asked me, have you thought about being a personal trainer? And she shocked me because my response was not really because... I'm definitely sure that it's expensive and you had to to get a degree or something and you have to pay for it or certificate. She told me like, you know what, don't worry about that. We're going to pay everything for you. You're just going to show up. Are you ready for it? And I said like, I'm definitely down for it. I would love that. Uh, she set me up and everything. So two months later, I think I took my test or exam, whatever. It was on February. I went through the program as a whole day program, teaching you how to become a trainer and stuff and like what are characteristics of a trainer so um and how to like perform workouts and stuff i took that i took the exam and i got certified that day and i cannot explain how happy i was i felt great i felt like you know what that's what i want to do that's what i'm really gonna enjoy but that's literally the simplified story of how i discovered bootcamp that's amazing but even before that um that you said that you used fitness uh, as an outlet. A lot of people in your situation probably would have turned to something else, like something yeah, worse could sure. have been anything, right? And you decided to go to fitness. And why, why do you think that you went to that? To be honest with you, uh, I'm not going to lie. I used to not just use fitness, but I used to even smoke cigarettes just to calm down and think about stuff. But I didn't think that cigarettes would be the, the way. And it was affecting my breathing. So, like, every time I work out, when you, of course, when you do weights, you're fine. But when you do cardio, you suck at it. Yeah. <laughs> you really <laughs> suck at it. So, like, that's how I realized, like, you know what? I had to stop. I had to stop. I can't do this no more. But honestly, like, when you, I don't know how to explain but if you go to the gym, you focus all your emotions, whether you're happy, sad, upset, whatever emotions you have that day. Just go to the gym. Even if you don't feel great, just go work out, pull your energy over there. And I, I can guarantee you 100% right now, you're going to feel great about yourself. You're going to feel you did something great. And it calms you down. It makes you uh, more mature kind of in a way and makes you grow and makes you calm. So that's how it. So like when I go to the gym and I come back, I have clear mindset and I'm relaxed. 
So whatever comes in front of me, I'll be calm and I know how to react to it. I wouldn't be having the energy to be angry. 100%. And then you decided to become a trainer as well. Yep. So I'm sure that must have inspired you to, to share that type of calm, to, to have people get that same experience, right? For sure. Honestly, like I want it... I want, but I want basically to become. Well, the reason why, well, one of the main things that I want people to get from me as a trainer, I want to inspire others. I want to help them. I want to improve their lives, and I want to show them that there is nothing impossible in life, and you always can do better about yourself. That fitness will change your life. Fitness will give you more confidence. Fitness will make you feel better about yourself. Fitness actually gives you even connection. You're gonna meet wonderful, amazing people through the fitness. And like one of them, actually I told you, I just met Katie through fitness. Like if I wasn't interested in class, I'm just like, you know what, I'm just gonna go out, like smoke a cigarette or something, do something like terrible for my body. Like I wouldn't meet Katie. I would have never met Katie. And actually I'm blessed that I met her because she's the one who led me through fitness. Fitness, it's, it's I, like I can talk to you about it like for hours, but to simplify it is, I want what I want to get as a trainer. I want to help others. I want to show them that you always can do better. Like my main goal is motivation. That's why I want to. I want them to know, and I want them to know that I struggled in life and I've been through a lot, but I'm using fitness as a key to happiness or key to like develop myself. So if I can do that, you always can do that too. Hundred percent. Hey, man, I, I would want to add to that, but there's really not much more to add than that. So we're actually kind of getting to the end of, uh, of our time today. So the one question that we ask uh, every guest who comes on the podcast is about empowerment. So just to recap, Fit is a company that's based around the value of empowerment. We're a mobile streaming platform for users to access on-demand uh, workout classes on their phone. So giving people access to uh, quality trainers and, and have that same experience to get the release, to be able to calm down, to be able to become their best selves through fitness while giving a platform to trainers or anyone who's passionate about helping people to reach a global audience. Um, so empowerment from both sides. And so our question for every guest would be, what does the value of empowerment mean to you? Honestly, empowerment means to me is helping others. Empowerment means being strong. Empowerment means to me to be mindful. Empowerment means basically just the word motivation. That's how I explain it, to be honest with you. That if you want to be strong, just don't focus on yourself only, but focus on others too. Like So for me, the way how I give my power is through others. And the way how I can simplify this that if I helped you to overcome your struggleness or hardships, that's how I get my power. When I see people smile and happy about what they've done and what they've accomplished, that's what I get my power. So that's the meaning of empowerment for me is through people. Helping others, motivating others, make them succeed through their goals, inspiring even, even inspiring them. That's what empowerment means to me. That's amazing, man. Um, I'm sure if the listeners can see, uh, this is a huge reason why we brought him on the podcast. His story, his uh, emphasis on helping others, his taking a situation that could have been considered negative and using it as a way to help other people 
these are the types of people that we love to talk to, that we love to work with uh, at FIT. So on that note, thank you so much, Hash, for coming. Really appreciated hearing about your story. Um, and where can they find you? How can people connect with you? To be honest with you, they can find me through social media. So I mostly use, I'm not a fan of Snapchat mostly, but like uh, you can find me definitely on Instagram, hash.fit, so H-A-S-H dot fit. Um, there you can connect, contact me through DMs or emails over there, and I would be glad actually to help you. And if you need anything from me, just you can reach me through Instagram, to be honest with you, whatever you're comfortable with, and I'll try to see what I can do for you. There you have it, guys. You know how to reach him. I would go follow him right away because clearly this guy is only giving out value and only trying to help people. And that's someone that you want to keep your eyes on. So thanks again, thanks again Hash, for coming. And uh, that's the end for today. Thank you guys for listening. We really enjoy bringing you these stories because at the end of the day, each person has a unique journey. And why not share that with the world? We could all stand to learn from one another because each individual path has lessons in it that we can take and apply to our own lives. The process is produced by FIT, a mobile streaming platform for in-home fitness classes. We thrive on giving people the ability to make one step towards their goals every day by taking on new challenges in their personal fitness journeys. We're excited to welcome you to the FIT family, so download our app on the App Store today. Thank you for listening and see you on the next episode of The Process.